Have a seat. Well, good afternoon. Hope you guys are doing well this afternoon. And if you have your Bibles or your First Peter journals, then go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be in 7 through 11 uh, this afternoon. First Peter 4, 7 through 11. As, we, as you turn there and as we get started, I've got to really sort of ask you a question for those of you that are students or those of you that are parents. This is really going to, I think, sort of, sort of help us set the stage for the message today. So just as parents, sometimes as the kids get to somewhere around fifth grade or sixth grade, we feel a little bit more comfortable saying, hey, I'm going to leave and go run this errand, but I'm going to come back. So I'm going to leave, I'm going to run this errand, and I'm going to be back. But here's what I want you to do while I'm gone. Or here's what I don't want you to do. As siblings, I would prefer you not to kill each other. I would prefer you to get along. And I would prefer everything to be straight and the house not to be torn up. So as parents, maybe we have said that. And if you're a kid or a student here today, maybe you have heard that. So your parents going to go away, and when they come back, they want to see some of those things that they said that you would do or perhaps that you would not do. The text, the text today really has a, a, a basic warning or a basic understanding that Jesus is going to come back I'll say that again. Jesus is going to come back. And the church said, okay, that's good news. So Jesus is going to come back. And what he wants us to be about through speaking through Peter is he says, here's what I want you to fight for until I return. So the first verse that we're going to look at right now, basically in verse seven says this, the end of all things is at hand. In our 20 minutes of, of talking this morning, we will never be able to encapsulate the end times and how that's going to unfold. Here's what I want to make sure you know. Jesus is victorious. Jesus will come back. We have all that we need to be ready for his return. That's where we're going to leave it right now. Well, is he going to come back? Is the church going to be gone? Is the church not going to be gone? We're not going to get into all of that right now. That's called the study of eschatology or the study of end times. What we are going to focus on, no matter which view you land on, is that Jesus is coming back and we have everything that we need to live the way that he's told us to live while he is gone until he comes back. So what does he want us to fight for? I think he goes to Peter and through Peter Peter says, hey, listen, guys, I want you to know the end of all things is at hand. There's not, we don't know the time or the hour when Jesus is coming back. The Bible says he will come like a thief in the night. We have no idea. We cannot, even on a good day or most spiritual day, even predict when that's going to happen. So in an essence, let's not spend our time on trying to figure out when he's coming back. Let's make sure that we spend our time and our effort doing what he said that we should be doing 
until he gets back. So let's, I've, I've said there's three things that we should fight for. Three things that we should fight for until Christ returns. And, and, and I think it's, it's in the text and, and, and we'll get there in just a minute. You see, Peter throughout the entire book of 1 Peter has called us aliens. He's called us exiles. Other places in the Bibles, it calls us sojourners. What is he in essence trying to say? This is not your home. As a believer in Jesus, this is not your home. We have, we wait like Abraham, it says, who waits for a city whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, chapters eight, Hebrews 11, eight, nine, and 10. We wait for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so we recognize that we are exiles. We recognize that we are sojourners. We recognize that we are aliens, that we are here and we're here for a purpose. And you've heard us say it several times. And that's why us as an elder team, we're so excited about going away and the first weekend of February, Thursday to Saturday, thank you for your prayers, is that we're going to try to get together to make sure that we really understand what does it mean for Northwest to be disciple, uh, disciples who make disciples. That's why we exist and that's why we're here, whether it's under a tent or not under a tent or wherever it is. And that's what we wanna know. So we're passing through, so to speak. So what are we gonna fight for? What are we going to fight for and remember? What is our lives going to look like until Jesus returns? Well, Peter, I think, answers the question, and he says it at the end of verse uh, 7. So let's read verse 7 together. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I think the first thing that he wants us to, to fight for is he wants us to fight for our prayer lives. Prayer is an opportunity for us to communicate with God. It is the way that we talk to him. It is the way that we listen to him. We can read God's word and get a word from God. We can also pray and communicate with God. And I don't know about you, but fighting for my prayer life has been one of the biggest things for me. If I was to sit there and talk about the disciplines of the faith, I gotta be really honest with you fighting to pray and not saying the same thing over and over again is probably one of the things that I fight for on a daily basis. I can be honest with you. My prayer life on Saturday night is really good. Why? Because I'm getting ready to come up here and talk to you. And so it's something that we need to fight for. We have all the resources that God the Father has given us. And the way that they are, the way that they are exercised is by communicating with God and talking with him. And, and, and I would say this, every time you come into a new year, people ask the question, what is it that you feel like you need to work on? I want to read the Bible more and I want to pray more. Well, here's what Jesus, here's what Peter is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit. The end is at near. And what I need you to do to, so that you will understand why you're here and why you exist is for you to fight for your prayer life because it is in your prayer life that you will understand your purpose, how you figure it out, how you apply it, how you live. All of the resources of God will come to us. When we have minds that are clear and our lives are self-controlled, so someone who is not self-controlled, someone who is not sober-minded, 
it's going to be very difficult to have an unhindered prayer life. So when our lives are not the way they should be, man, it's very different. It's very difficult to vertically communicate with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so he said, I want your life to be self-controlled and I want your mind to be sober-minded. I don't want it to be filled with other things. Maybe this analogy might help you a little bit. This coming July, I will be married to Dana for 25 years. I'm pretty excited about that. On March the 10th, 1992, that's the date that we started dating. And on July 20th, 1996, is the day that we got married. Now, so we have been together close to 29 years, been married for 25 this coming July. We met in college. And I can tell you, maybe you will know this, maybe you won't, but there's a big difference between communicating when you are dating and communicating when you are married. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you, Neil. There's a big difference when you communicate when you are dating and when you communicate when you are married. I remember being at Garden Web University my sophomore year. Dana and I had made a decision. We are going to date. And I'm telling you, there was no such thing as sending her a text message to flirt with her or to tell her how much I loved her. But I would write notes and I would go to the post office on campus and give it to the, the post guy and postmaster with a student who was working in there. And he'd put the note in her mailbox and then I'd see her later in the day and, and we'd talk about that and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember when I graduated from Gardner-Webb and got a job and I got this company car because I was recruiting for Gardner-Webb. So I was selling Gardner-Webb and I'm driving down the road and I would reach down under the seat and take the, the cord from my bag phone and plug it into the cigarette lighter. And there would be a song on the radio, something like by maybe Boys to Men or something like that, or whatever the case might be, or, or there might be a song by Journey or whatever. And I would, hey, this is, Mr. Qualls, this is Matt. Is Dana there? Can she talk? She'd get on the phone and I'd just say, hey, and I'd turn up the song, and I'd just let her listen to it. I'd be somewhere around 64 on the way back to Charlotte, just crossing where the little bar still is, headed towards the lake, and I would, but I want to let you know something, that marriage communication is really different than that. You know, marriage communication is really different and marriage communication, we have to work extremely hard. And so what, what we're learning right now is we're learning that, yes, we can come in and we can know, hey, we can, we can be prayed up and we can really have a dynamic prayer life. But then there's sometimes things change. We go through maybe a difficult situation and we're not praying quite like we should or quite like we can. And so what what Peter is instructing us to do is say, hey guys, the end is near and what I need you to do is I need you to fight for your prayer life. I need you to fight for it. I, I, I would say this, that I'm gonna just show you this book right here. This is called My Heart Cries Out. It's by Paul David Tripp. I've referenced this several times. I would tell you this right now, that this has helped me. I've got it highlighted on different prayers that I've used and I just wanna just, 
he, he wrote different prayers. And I would tell you this right now that this book is really helping me in my prayers so that I can just allow my heart to be captivated and to communicate with the Lord. And it's really just been a great, um, a great tool and a great resource. And I want to make sure that you know it. I think the other day I was walking into the office and um, this has happened twice in the last two weeks. And I come into the office and I come into the door and then there's Gazel and Teresa's office is right there on the right. And always the door is open. And the last two weeks I've come in and that door is closed. And it's, I think on a Tuesday. And I walk in and I look over and the door's closed. That's usually very unusual. And it's of course got glass in it. And I look over there and I see these two ladies that are, that are, that are just kneeled down and praying. And, and they're, they're, they're praying for us. And they're praying that we would be disciples who make disciples. Because I've prayed with them. But now I'm watching them pray together. And I can just tell you that it's such a blessing to see and to be on a staff where you're watching people to fight to pray together. And, and, and when, when we take a look at our time that's left here, let us be known by being a people, a group of people that are really just, we're, we're fighting to pray and let that be a reminder to us. He says something else in verse eight. And that's verse eight says this. He says, verse eight says, above all. So if you're gonna say above all, here is the end is at near. So then he talked to us about unhindered prayers. And then he says, oh, above all, I don't want you to forget this. That right there is a significance that we should not forget what he's getting ready to say. So above all, Keep loving one another earnestly. And we all said, well, well duh, okay, I, I get that. You keep saying that over and over again. Peter has been harping on that over and over again because here's what's gonna take place. You're going to get persecuted. The Bible teaches us that narrow is the road that leads to life and few take it. Many take the wide road and many follow that. And so he's trying to tell us there's persecution that is coming. And I want you, until Jesus comes, I want you to fight for your prayer life and I want you to fight to love people the way that I love you. He says it over and over throughout this book. It, it's, it's, I want you to be an agent of my love. I want unconditional agape love to be a demonstration of your life until I return. I don't care how they voted. I don't care what they think about COVID. I don't care if they believe the vaccine or not the vaccine. I don't care what they believe about that. What I want you to do is I want you to love people unconditionally. And I want that to be seen in you. And I want you to fight to love people that way. All this, all this division, all this division, Satan can raise up his ugly head and he can see the division that's going on in this time where they're getting persecuted for their faith. There's a temptation and a fuel by Satan to say, you shouldn't love them. They're unlovable. That's a fuel by Satan. And then he comes, then, then Peter comes in and says, no, that's not the way a Christ follower, a disciple is supposed to love. A disciple is supposed to love on this. That doesn't mean that we excuse sin. If there is sin, one of the greatest ways to, one of the greatest demonstrations of love is of course to call out where, what sin is in a brother or sister's life. And the, and the scripture teaches us how to do that. 
Um, he even goes down and says, I want you to, to show this love. And he talks about showing hospitality. Honestly, that's showing love to people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's, that's really what that's talking about right now. It's those that do not walk with the Lord. I want you to show that kind of love to them. I want you to show this unconditional love to people that don't have a relationship with the Lord. Verse nine says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, <laughs> right? Mm, that's easy. And verse 10 says, oh, we'll go to verse 10 in just a minute. So since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without, without grumbling. A couple of places in the scripture, we can see in 1 John where it says, we know that we are his disciples for our what for one another? For our love for one another. 1 John says that over and over and over again. And then we take a look at John 3, 16, for God so, say it, love the world. And then we look at the, the, the greatest commandment where Jesus summarizes the 10 commandments and he says, hey, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so this right here, he's saying, hey, hey while I'm gone or while he's gone, I need this to be a mark of your life. And because we are sinners, we're going to go up and down in our commitment to this agape, unconditional type of love. And what I want you to do is I want you to fight to love people that way. Regardless of your differences, I want you to love people that way. Then he goes on. Lastly, last point says this. He says, I want you to uh, fight to serve the church. Fight to serve the church. It's, it's interesting that in verse 10 through 11, let's read 10 uh, through 11. 10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks, speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So what do I want you to be known for while I'm gone? I want you to be known to fight for this prayer. I want you to fight to love unconditionally. In addition to that, I want you to fight to serve in the local church. Here is what is such a big, big danger that when we fail to use our gifts and serve the local church, we, we become complainers and consumers instead of contributors. when we're not using our gifts. Here's what the beautiful thing about this is, as each has received a gift. So here's some encouragement for you. The God in heaven has given you a gift. You have a gift that God has given to you. I really don't think that you should spend a lot of time necessarily on trying to figure out what that gift is before you serve. I think what is really important is for us to serve and our gifts will be discovered. So the question that we ask is, hey church, Northwest, where am I needed? Because when we ask where we are needed, then we will most oftentimes find where we are gifted. When we ask where we're needed. I think it's, it's dangerously important 
that we, we understand that. I remember when I was uh, at a church years ago, it was at Apex Baptist Church, and we had, I, I've said this before, but I don't know if you'll remember this illustration, so perhaps, but I was doing a Disciple Now weekend, and I had eighth graders, and we did something on spiritual gifts and where we had a test. And so they all took this test to identify their spiritual gifts. And um, th- this kid raised his hand. His name was Mark Hahn. I remember it like it was yesterday. And he raised his hand and he said, Pastor Matt, it says here that my spiritual gift is extortion. What does that mean? And I was like, hey, buddy, you, it's actually exhortation. He goes, well, what does that mean? Well, extortion is stealing and exhortation is encouragement. And he goes, I do that. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> extortion. Uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. But, but one of the things that we have to be very, very, very careful about is we must understand what our gifts are for. In Romans chapter one, verses 11 and 12, I'm not gonna flip over there, but it says basically that your gift and my gift is for the purpose of strengthening other people's faith. That's why God has gifted you with gifts that you have, that your gifts are for the purpose of spiritually encouraging somebody and building up their faith. That's why you have them and that's why they're to be used. So as we sit here and we wait for Jesus to come back, whenever that is, I use my gifts to stir up your faith so that your faith is strengthened and you do the same thing to me And the place that we do that is the local church. And if we don't do that, listen, if we don't do that, we will not be able to accomplish or be the disciple who makes disciples or the disciple that we were created to be. It's impossible for us to do that. And so here, I want to give you this definition of a spiritual gift. And there's some things written in the worship Uh, the worship center app on spiritual gifts that I just left there for you. I'm not going to mention those right now, but I just put those in there for you to consider. I'm going to give you this definition and I I think it means, it, it means a lot to me. It sort of spells it out pretty clearly. A spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or in deed. For, here it is, the strengthening of someone else's faith. So instead of asking the question, what is my gift? I would ask the question as I come to church and ask the question going, God, whose faith needs to be encouraged this day? May you reveal to me how I might be able to encourage them in their faith. By doing that and praying that, you will uncover, we will uncover just really where our gifts are and what they are. And how we can be, how we can use them for His glory. I, I would say, I would say, um, with with this, there, there's an illustration that I read, and I just want to talk to you. I, I want to share that with you. In 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 World War II, there was a bombing of a French village, and the French village in World War II, the French village had a statue of Jesus, and the statue of Jesus was like this, probably like the one you could think of at um, maybe Notre Dame or maybe the one in Brazil. But the statue was Jesus and it was like this. The statue was totally torn down 
And the, the people of the village in this French village put the statue back together. Except they could not find Jesus' hands. So the statue was all back together and they were standing and Jesus didn't have any hands. And so they were thinking about redoing the statue. They were thinking about maybe making more hands for Jesus. And then someone, an, an artist, came up, one of the people in this, in this French village came up and wrote an inscription and placed it on the bottom of the statue. And it said this, I have no hands but yours. I have no hands but yours. One of the enemies, when we fail to use our spiritual gifts, one of the enemies that God, that the devil will use when we fail to use our spiritual gifts is that we will start building a kingdom of self. And that is incredibly dangerous because God has invited us to be a part of his kingdom with his power and his resources and allowing him to define and spiritually empower us to use our gifts for his glory. And therefore, what I would love for us to do as we sort of close and the worship team can start making their way is what I would love to do is if you're looking in the, the, the first Peter journal, there is a hyphen at the very end of uh, verse, there's a hyphen at the very end of verse 11, like in the middle of verse 11. Okay. And if you're looking on the worship center app, then you can have, you can see that there. What I would love for us to do is that Peter is telling us, hey, the end is near. So I need you to fight for your prayer life. I need you to fight to love people unconditionally. And I need you to fight to understand how your gifts are there to strengthen other people. And it's the answer to the question, I think, is found in the very end of verse 11. That all of these things will be this will be the result. And so what I would love for us to do is to read that together. It's in bold. And it starts with in order. So I want everybody to look there. Are you there? Okay. So we're going to read that together. So what is the reason that we have these, we fight for the, 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 our prayer, love, and gifts? Here is the reason. And we're going to say it together. All right. Here it goes. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's why we fight to pray, love, and use our gifts in the local church until he returns. So that we can be disciples who make disciples. That's why we're left here that's why we exist, and that's what we're here to do at Northwest. So let us do that. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the privilege of being able to just open up the word this afternoon. Lord, I just pray that today you will use the words that were said through the power of your spirit. I'm very very aware that your spirit can take what was said and do with it as you please. Um, I pray if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, that they would come to know you. I pray that they 
would come to faith. You know, I pray that if anybody is discouraged today, that Lord, you would use people in this church right here, right now, to use their faith, their gifts to encourage someone else today. And I pray, Lord, that as you wait to come back, that you would find Northwest Community Church, us right here, all believers here that are listening online or listening here in person, that we would do everything we can to fight in our prayer lives, to love unconditionally, and that, Lord, we would use our gifts to strengthen our brothers and sisters for your glory and that alone. So we love you, and we thank you for the privilege of being gifted by you for your Holy Spirit leading us. And Lord, may you get all the glory because you deserve it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.